Hello and welcome. My name is Sophia Besch and you're listening to the CER podcast. Hello, I'm here today with Ian Bond, Director of Foreign Policy at the Center for European Reform, with Rem Korteweg, a Senior Research Fellow here at the CER, and with Agata Gustinskaya-Kobowska, who's also a Research Fellow here at the CER in London. And we are here to talk about the relationship between Britain and the United States, and indeed between Europe and the United States in 2016. In a Brexit Britain, you tend to hear two contradicting key phrases when you talk about the US-UK relations these days. One is the special relationship, and the other is the back of the queue, the term President Obama used in London when he warned about the dangers, particularly to trade policy of a vote to leave the EU. So we're going to discuss these issues in this podcast, and as we are recording this conversation shortly before the US presidential elections, we will also talk a little bit about what a President Trump or a President Clinton would mean for the EU. Agatha, let's start with you, because you have recently been to the United States and spent some time in Washington DC speaking to policymakers and experts and talking to them about Brexit and what the British decision to leave the EU means for the US relationship with the UK. What was your impression? How do Americans feel about Brexit? My impression is that the Americans that I talk to um, are deeply worried about um, implications of Brexit for the EU, but also for the US-EU um, relationship. Uh, the people I, I, I talked to um, underlined that they fear that Brexit negotiations, which are going to be you know, unprecedented negotiations in EU's history, uh, will be a severe destruction for both Britain and the European Union from other serious crises. Obviously, Brexit is only one of them. The European Union is passed by other crises like, you know, refugee crisis, but is still um, also facing um, terrorist threats. And this is this is what the Americans are really worried about. And, you know, to be fair, Britain has been a reluctant European, but at the same time, it has been an essential partner for the EU in its attempt to uh, fight terrorism, but it has also championed, for instance, you know, EU sanctions against Russia. And we actually also saw it um, uh, during the last European Council summit um, when the issue of sanctions was brought back um, at, the, at the table. And Britain has been one of those member states um, who actually presented a very tough line. So this is, this is what the Americans are really worried about. You know, and besides, um, Britain has often been seen as America's proxy in the EU. It shared, you know, the, the agenda of economic liberalism, but also the foreign policy activism and something that you and, and Ian very often talk about, you know, it also shared America's distrust towards further institutionalization of European defense policy, for example. Okay, so that is a really interesting term that you just used, and I would like to ask you to expand a little bit more on that. If you say that the UK was the, a proxy for the United States to influence the EU, do you think that post-Brexit American influence on European politics is going to diminish? You know, to be fair, America has never really put all its eggs into Britain's basket. I mean, obviously, uh, Britain has been one of its major allies, 
Um, but for instance, the Obama administration, when the UK-E relationship called, um, invested a great deal of political capital into relations with other member states, you know, like uh, Germany or France. And, you know, it is Berlin, not London, that has been crucial to the ways of addressing, for instance, refugee or um, Eurozone crisis. And I must admit that it seems to me that the US approach to the EU is a very uh, pragmatic one. Uh, this means that obviously relations with member states are important, but because the US realizes that EU institutions are also essential for the EU decision-making process, it has developed um, you know, a certain framework for uh, cooperation with the institutions. So for instance, American officials would meet with the commission, but also council, uh, council uh, officials regularly to discuss issues like justice and home affairs or energy, where the US and the European Union has often, you know, common interest. Um, but, you know, also the US, for instance, realized that MEPs are important. It happened uh, when actually the European Parliament uh, blocked or, you know, vetoed the SWIFT agreement, but nevertheless, they realized that they also have to reach out uh, to uh, to the European Parliament. So my conclusion would be, obviously, um, Brexit and Britain's departure from the EU is a headache uh, for the US, but uh, in this case, the US will have to just exploit more other channels of its influence in the EU. Rem, let's talk a little bit more about the details of the Brexit negotiations and their impact on the United States. Um, even though we still haven't heard an official Brexit strategy yet, much of the evidence from political statements and speeches currently points in the direction of a hard Brexit, with the UK leaving the EU single market. How would that affect the United States? So the Americans are really quite worried about this. Um, a hard Brexit would have a number of consequences, they say. One, is, one thing that they obviously worry about is what it would do to the health and the stability of the British economy. Um, as Agatha said, there is now an unprecedented situation and that creates uncertainty. Um, and more specifically, American investors are very worried about what, it, what a hard Brexit would mean in terms of the UK's future relationship to the European single market. And a lot of this comes down to the issue of passporting of financial services. And the US, of course, is a major source of investment in the UK. And a lot of that investment is um, done with an eye to also accessing the broader European single market. And there are really tremendous concerns that a hard Brexit could lead to a loss of straightforward and cheap access to the rest of the European market um, and that effectively U.S. firms would face the choice of either relocating inside the European Union or moving elsewhere like New York. And according to the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, um, investments worth nearly $600 billion could be at risk. So that's quite sizable. Now, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, Philip Hammond, has tried to reassure U.S. investors that passporting or something similar like an equivalence regime could be maintained. But um, as you say, we're all in the business of reading the tea leaves now and a lot still remains unknown about the UK's negotiating position, but they're definitely worried. Um, I also wanted to ask you about that other 
free trade agreement. So not CETA, but TTIP, which seems to have disappeared from the headlines recently, but which would obviously have a great impact on the relationship between the US and the EU. What effect does Brexit have on TTIP negotiations? So Brexit definitely has some effect on TTIP, but I think we need to take one step back and to say, well, there is a pause in the TTIP negotiations, primarily because the US elections are approaching and we don't know what the uh, new administration's policy is going to be. Um, but even after the US elections, I don't really think that there will be a lot of negotiation until the French elections have taken place and the German elections have taken place as well. So that's not necessarily connected to Brexit. But Brexit will change the dynamics of these negotiations when they start again. After all, without the EU's second largest economy involved, this changes the balance of the negotiations between the EU and the United States. Also, um, the EU may have a different set of priorities now without the UK involved. Um, the US will also want to wait to see what the final agreement between the UK and the European Union looks like in trade terms before it signs off on its, uh, in, on its new negotiating strategy. So all this suggests that there will be more delays to, to, to TTIP. But I would say that you know, TTIP is down, but it's not out. I mean, there's still definite commitment on both sides to see, uh, see if they can make this work. Um, the question is, given that TTIP will face this series of delays, uh, would it make a US-UK bilateral free trade agreement more likely? And Donald Trump, um, though he hasn't said that much about TTIP, has been very critical of uh, any other sort of uh, free trade agreement that the U.S. has signed in, uh, in, in recent history. Um, he has called NAFTA, for instance, the worst agreement the U.S. has ever signed in its history. Um, so I think he would probably be skeptical of TTIP. However, he has said that a U.S.-U.K. deal would be among his priorities. Um, Clinton, on the other hand, might be expected to continue President Obama's line by favoring larger regional uh, uh, free trade agreements uh, like Obama has uh, sought to negotiate with uh, a series of Pacific countries um, and uh, that Clinton might be willing to give TTIP more the benefit of the doubt and in that sense also uh, giving preference to TTIP over a US-UK bilateral deal. Ian, we've just heard from Rem about what a likely trade position of both presidential candidates could be towards the EU. But I think it's fair to say that in this particular US election campaign, policy ideas have only played a very marginal role, pushed aside by Trump's populism and by the scandals of the Clinton um, electoral campaign. But both candidates have put out a program, one admittedly more detailed than the other, and they have answered questions about the big ideas and assumptions that underline their idea of governing. So if you went a bit deeper and beyond the show politics, what would you say are the Trump and Clinton big foreign policy ideas? I'm not sure that either of them has um, big ideas in the sense of a big world program. Clinton would be much like Obama in many respects, but perhaps a bit more activist in foreign policy. In a way, her big idea was already out there when she was Secretary of State under Obama in his first term, and that was the pivot to Asia. And I would anticipate that some of the people who worked with her on that concept 
will probably come back into uh, into government if she's elected and that therefore we will see more focus from Clinton on the Asia-Pacific region, both on America's allies in that area, uh, who've sometimes felt themselves a little neglected, I think, uh, but also on the relationship with China, which is a difficult one, but it's not, not perhaps beyond rescue. Uh, so what does that mean for Europe? I think it largely means steady as she goes, uh, not dramatic changes from the sorts of policies that, uh, uh, that Obama has pursued, maybe a little more activist in pushing back against Russia. The question of what Donald Trump's foreign policy would be is pretty hard to answer because he has given so many contradictory answers to questions on foreign policy during his campaign and one never really knows what is the real Trump position on anything. Is he in favour of Japan and South Korea developing their own nuclear weapons? Well, he said so at one point and subsequently he said that no, he wasn't in favour of that. Is he in favour of Saudi Arabia having its own nuclear deterrent? At one point he said he was and then later he said he wasn't. So it's very hard to know what sort of a line uh, he would pursue in government and it's complicated further by the fact that a number of senior Republican foreign policy experts who might have been expected to serve in a Trump uh, administration have said that they wouldn't serve under him or have said things so critical of him that the chances are that he wouldn't appoint them even if they were willing to serve under him. So it's more than usually complicated to try and work out what the alternative is that, uh, that Trump is offering. The one thing I would say is that he has a very unhealthy admiration for Putin and for strongman authoritarian leaders of that kind. And that ought to be worrying both for Americans and certainly for Europeans. So Ian, you've mentioned the pivot to Asia and China as one big foreign policy issue that will be on the agenda for the next US president. But could you talk a little bit about the war on terror, which will certainly also be of great relevance, and in that context, maybe the fighting that is going on in Syria currently? Yeah. In terms of the war on terror, again, I think you'd expect to see quite a lot of continuity from Clinton, who has been very much involved in this when she was uh, Secretary of State. Uh, with Trump, my worry would be that he has uh, suggested that he would take a very tough line even as far as torturing terror suspects and he could easily act as uh, a recruiting sergeant for new terrorists in the same way that uh, Guantanamo Bay and the uh, the tough interrogation techniques that the Bush administration used there uh, have acted actually to radicalize more people. So that, that I think is a problem there. In terms of Syria, Clinton clearly doesn't trust the Russians to uh, act honestly in Syria, does see them as contributing to the problem by propping up Assad and by striking at groups who America would see as being part of the solution, not part of the problem, and leaving ISIS pretty much untouched while simultaneously creating more refugee problems in Europe. So I would expect her to put more emphasis on sanctions on Russia possibly, 
um, perhaps even go as far as uh, safe zones of some description, maybe along the borders with Turkey or something like that. Certainly a more muscular policy. Whereas I think that um, Trump's approach will be to let Putin and Assad have a free hand to regard essentially anybody who's on the, on the ground and fighting in that area as a reasonable target and not to commit America to trying to promote an alternative solution in, in Syria. And from a European point of view, again, I think the risk of that is that you see a lot more refugees flowing out of the areas where Assad and the Russians are advancing. We have focused uh, in this whole episode on the EU um, mostly, but another big stake that Europeans have in these elections is obviously the American involvement in NATO as the security provider for Europe. How do you expect a President Clinton or a President Trump to engage with this alliance? I would expect that both of them will be looking for the Europeans to do more for their own defence. The difference will be that Trump seems to regard NATO rather as a sort of protection racket uh, in which if the, uh, the allies don't pay up to the extent that Trump decides is adequate, then the US will stand by while Russia sort of whacks the, um, the allies. Uh, I, that's certainly not the, the Clinton position. But as with Obama... Uh, and those are those around him. I think she will be looking for Europeans to do more to defend themselves, to get closer to that two percent uh, of GDP spent on defence, which is the the NATO target. Uh, so, you know, she, as I say, is somewhat firmer on Russia than Obama and Kerry have been. I, I would expect her to continue that when she's in office. I can't see a, a, um, a Clinton uh, White House being quite so ready to keep talking to the Russians regardless of what they do, for example, in the Middle East. Um, but at the same time, I can't see her starting World War Three by accident. That's a good closing statement, I think. Thanks everyone here for taking part in the conversation. Agatha and Rem have also written an insight not so special, why the US won't help Britain in the Brexit talks, which you can find on our website, cer.org.uk. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to us for regular updates, give us a rating on iTunes and share it with your friends and colleagues. And you're also very welcome to join the conversation and let us know your thoughts by tweeting us using the hashtag CERpodcast. Thank you for listening to the CER podcast. You can find more on our website, cer.org.uk, or follow us on Twitter at CER underscore London. <laughs>